Good morning. Jesus was invited to a party. Actually, you might say the party was for him, and if anyone needed a getaway, a nice dinner with close friends, it was Jesus. And if there was ever a time for him to need that little bit of escape, it was now. It was in the last week of Jesus' life, and he knew these coming days were going to be difficult. He was about to be crucified, and Jerusalem was not an easygoing uh, place to be at that time. So he goes out to Bethany, just outside Jerusalem city limits, to get away from that overly crowded, pressure-packed city. And most of us do the same thing. Well, we want to relax. We go home. We want to get away. We might get with some good friends, and we enjoy some good food together. Well, this is the setting in Simon the leper's house. Now, the text doesn't say, but it should read Simon the former leper's house. I've always been intrigued by him being called that, but I'm also intrigued how the Bible calls Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, even after she gave that up. And so I think that's a very similar thing going on here, because obviously he's healed. If he still had leprosy, he'd be unclean and not throwing a party, and nobody would come if he did. So it's Simon the former leper's house. The account's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. You might recall Luke also shares a similar account, but it happened much earlier in Jesus' ministry. And in that situation, the woman there is identified as a sinful woman. Uh, if you read articles or you hear people talk about it, sometimes you'll hear the name Mary Magdalene. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. It just identifies this person as a sinful woman. But now in this last week of Jesus' life, there's another time where a very similar situation happens. And John tells us several people are present there, and he mentions them by name, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And there are others there as well, including the disciples and other close friends. A dinner that I'm sure is going along like any other dinner would go in that time with good friends at someone's home until Mary does something unusual. But I think Jesus knew exactly what was happening and again, remember the timing. This is the last week of Jesus' life. We've talked about this a couple of times already, that Jesus, just before this, had brought Lazarus back to life. And that miracle was like the talk of the town. Everybody got word about Lazarus, this man that was brought back to life. And so everybody wanted to meet him and see him. But more so, they wanted to know about this Jesus. So things were at a crescendo, the talk about could this be the Messiah? Look at Mark 10, 4, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and killing. So while his popularity among the people was at a high, it was also a high as far as his enemies wanting to take him down. And so his followers, especially his close friends, they were soaking it all in. Everybody wanted to know about this Jesus. Last week we talked about how Jesus faced criticism. Even during this stressful week, and those who hated him were ready to pounce and even attacked his authority. By what authority do you do these things? This week we're going to see the opposite, where Jesus receives not criticism, 
but affection. In handling success or praise, and sometimes even receiving affection, is not always easy. We may want it, but sometimes when you're on the receiving end of that, it can be a challenge. You know, if you accomplish something, maybe you do a good job at work and you're honored, or, or if you're complimented by somebody, it can be one of the most socially awkward moments. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? Where you did a good job and you like that that's acknowledged, but they go on and on, or it's in front of a lot of people, and, and, and what's intended for good, you just kind of want to crawl under the table. Accepting praise is not always easy. Australian neurologist Sigmund Freud once was attend, uh, asked to attend a banquet in his honor. I put the quote on the screen. It says, when someone abuses me, I can defend myself, but against praise, I am defenseless. You ever feel that way? So when should we accept praise and affection? And how do we accept this kind of appreciation? Well, Jesus is the perfect example of how we should react to pressure. So let's look at how Jesus responded in this situation. If you've got your outline, you can see we're going to follow along from Matthew, Mark, and John's account. And we're going to notice what Mary did, how the disciples uh, reacted, how they criticized, and then how Jesus responded. So first, let's look at Mary's affection. Can you imagine being a part of this dinner? And all the people who were there, who would you sit by? Would it not be great to be there? If you sat next to Lazarus, wouldn't you have some questions to ask him? How was it? What did you see? What did you experience? What did it feel like? Or even to sit next to Simon, who had been the outcast and now is hosting this great dinner party. Look how John describes it. John 12, verses 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was the one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I want to notice three things, three aspects about Mary's affection. First, it was public. She did this in front of everyone there at the dinner party. She was proud of doing this for Jesus. She was not trying to hide it. She was not ashamed. She was not reserved. Everyone saw it. Everyone smelt it. Everyone knew what was going on. But when you're proud of someone, when you love someone, when you appreciate someone, you want to let that be known. And so you go over and above. You're open with your affection. In fact, so much so, you're not necessarily thinking about what other people think. And this is what Mary does. This real love doesn't go unnoticed. John describes it there. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When I read that, I wondered, was John one of the disciples there witnessing all of this? And you know how... Sometimes memories are associated with smells that as he's writing his gospel account years later, he's remembering the smell of the perfume that filled the house. Doing this for Jesus made the whole house smell of perfume. That was public affection. Was Mary motivated? 
by what Jesus has said earlier, Matthew 10, verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And you contrast that to how Joseph of Arimathea is described. Look at John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body, took away his body. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. But as he's described here, secretly, not publicly, secretly. Why? Because he feared the Jews. What people would say, would think, until this moment, and at this moment, and we love this about him, he stood up for Jesus and made this amazing statement publicly that he was a follower. There are people even today who consider themselves a Christian, a disciple, but they're not very public about it. Now, they may attend church most Sundays. They may make a contribution from time to time or maybe even volunteer in some community event. But you're not going to hear them talking about Jesus. You're not going to hear them sharing their faith. You're not going to hear about them leading somebody to believe and follow Jesus. That's not, that's not who they are. They're not public in their discipleship, in their following. You know, Jesus talked about the abundant life, and everybody wants that, but Jesus also talked about the surrendered life. Well, Mary's affection wasn't just public, it was also expensive. Her affection was expensive. Matthew describes this being worth a large sum. Mark and John both say 300 denarii. The NIV there says it was about a year's wage. Now, if you thought perfume was expensive, just think about that. A year's wage. That's how much this cost. Everyone in the room would have been aware of exactly how much this cost. In fact, everybody was aware. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, think about this. He was often challenging his followers not to get focused on the amount of giving, but the motivation behind the giving. And he shared several times about that. Maybe what we think of the most is the woman there giving her last bit at the treasury. Look at the screen, Mark 12, verse 41 through 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing in the offering box. For they, they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We remember her giving so little, and yet Jesus commending her, calling her out to all the disciples. Notice this. Notice what she did. And she gave two copper coins, which makes a penny. Think about that. She didn't have to give them both. She could have given one and kept one. But she gave both copper coins. She gave all. She gave expensively. Maybe you heard about the woman who was out of town and she was at an antique shop and she found something that she thought 
this is just great. I, I, we, I need to get this. But she wanted to see if her husband would be okay. So she took a picture of the item, including the, uh, the price tag, and she sent it to her husband. And, and he replied back, no price too high. Well, she thought, well, hot dog. So she bought it, and she returned home, and she was so excited. And so she came in, and she showed her husband what she bought. And he said, didn't you get my message? I said it was too expensive. Well, so they both pulled out their phones, and they checked it. He checked it, and he had just put those four words, no capital letters, no punctuation. She read it, no price too high. He meant no price too high. It's all about perspective. And we think about giving, it is all about perspective, isn't it? How you look at things. Mike mentioned that in the article that he shared with us. It's how you look at things, what you value. Mary understood what this week meant for Jesus. Mary understood what was coming. Obviously, she had been listening. Again and again, he talked about, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die. I will be buried. I will raise again. Mary got it. Mary knew all this was happening. And so she's thinking, there is no price too high. I've got this. It's worth a year's wages. But my Lord is about to give his life for me. She wanted his body not to be treated like a common criminal. So she anointed him with this perfume. You know, if your child needed life-saving surgery, the first thing you ask the surgeon, the doctor, is not, how much is this going to cost? Not at all. Because you're not thinking about cost. You're thinking about, I want to save my child's life, and you're going to do anything, everything you can. You're not worried about the cost. You're not thinking about the cost. A love like that, cost is secondary. Way on down the list, you're going to do whatever it takes. So her affection was public, it was expensive, and third... It was spontaneous. Now, this story doesn't come across as a well-planned expression of love and affection. The way it comes across, the timing of it all. Maybe she knew she wanted to do something for Jesus. But the way it plays out here seems to indicate there was some spontaneity about it. Look at John's account, John 12, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now again, consider the setting here about these people we know at the event. Martha is serving because that's Martha. That's what Martha does. So Martha is serving. Lazarus there back from the grave. Simon is there cured from leprosy, just overflowing with gratitude. Others listed. We don't know all their names. But what do we know about Mary? What do we know about Mary? Mary is there taking it all in. Remember earlier, Jesus described Mary saying, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary got it. One author asked this, was this a custom of the day for a woman to use her hair like this? Or was she so overtaken with emotion, so convicted in her faith in Jesus that she had to use her hair since she did not bring a towel? And be sure to notice Jesus allows her to do this. He doesn't stop her and go, no, 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 don't do that. You need to keep that. You can do better things with that. He doesn't stop her at all. He accepts her affection. 
Now, it's not always easy to accept affection. We talked about that. Jesus came to this nice dinner with friends and escaped from a pressure-packed week in Jerusalem. And now because of her actions, boom, all the eyes are on him even more. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to this? Have you ever received a gift so nice, so over the top, that you felt like you couldn't receive it? You know what I'm talking about? It's like somebody, they were just so overcome with their expression of gratitude or love, and, and you just think, there's no way I can wear this. There's no way I can accept this. If I do, it's going to bring, I just, I just can't. You, you know what I'm talking about? My, one of my best friends in college, he and I were in each other's weddings, just good, good friend. We were all elated when he was chosen Mr. Fried Hardeman College. His mom and dad came for the ceremony, and as his good friends, we were all going, yes, just, just love that moment. But his mom and dad had made a personalized license plate, Mr. FHC. It was a college then. I'm that old. Mr. FHC, and they put it on the front of his car. They were so proud. But I remember him telling me, Randy, give me a screwdriver. I got to take it off. I can't accept that. I can't drive my car around with that on the front. But you know what I'm talking about. You've had situations like that where somebody, they, they mean so well, they love you so much, and you think, I, I just can't do that. Sometimes there's more consequences from being praised than there is being criticized. I think Jesus knew that. Let's also consider that in Jesus' day, women, they were not held in high regard. Women were not respected like the men. Now, Jesus didn't play by those rules. Jesus didn't live like that. When you read through the Gospels, you see women as a vital part of his ministry. They're always right there in the middle of things. He treated them with dignity. Sometimes, often, they're mentioned by name, and you read about them repeatedly. Now, rabbinical literature tells us that a woman did not let down her hair before men in public. But Mary's unabashed love for Jesus trumped any kind of Jewish or social expectation. She just gets lost in the moment. At least that's how the story reads to me. When you follow the life of Jesus, you witness all kinds of appreciation and affection for him. Sort of like this case, the breaking the seal of this expensive ointment and anointing his body. Or maybe like his shoulder. Remember John in the very next chapter talks about how he was leaning on Jesus. We read that. Can you imagine that? Leaning on Jesus. I thought of Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 when Jesus says, Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And then a leaning on Jesus. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but you come together to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sometimes that encouragement is a pat on the back. Sometimes it's a hug. We know how all the experts agree that appropriate physical touch is so valuable, it's so needed, it's so healthy. 
appropriate physical touch. I remember when we lived in Coleman after worship, there were several of us in the lobby talking, and, and this lady walked up, and she was just very appreciative of me, and it was a lot. It was like too much. And she, she looked at C and said, Sia, turn around. I want to give Randy a hug. I said, no, I, I want Sia to see this. <laughs> that was awkward. But she was so appreciative. And she, this just, that was just kind of her way. But we've all been in situations like that. The person means well, but you feel embarrassed. Mary broke the seal and poured this perfume on Jesus. And don't you know, everybody was curious how Jesus was going to respond because affection and appreciation can come in so many forms in so many ways. It can be that physical touch, that, that hug, that, that firm handshake, that pat on the back, that even a kiss. It can also be in other ways like a tank full of gas, a nice home-cooked meal, mowed grass, rolling your neighbor's trash can back up to their house. The greatest command, Jesus said, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is to love your neighbor. Cal Thomas said, love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. Jesus demonstrated that love can be large, bold action, but it can also be just that nod. It can be that smile or even a look. It can be your quiet presence. To just be there. Irma Bombeck was known for her syndicated newspaper columns. She just write about life. She wrote an article called, Are You Listening? And in that, she was talking about the constant interruptions that had just filled her days as she was preparing for a trip. She could not get it all done. It was just crazy, crazy, crazy busy all the way up. She said the demands that were placed on her until she finally arrived at the airport. She wrote this, At last... There was 30 whole beautiful minutes before my plane took off. Time for me to be alone with my own thoughts, to open my book, and let my mind wander. A voice next to me belonging to an elderly woman said, I bet it's cold in Chicago. Stone-faced, I answered her, it's likely. I haven't been to Chicago in nearly three years, the lady persisted. My son lives there. That's nice, I said, my eyes intent on the printed page of the book. My husband's body is on this plane. We've been married 53 years. I don't drive, you know. But when he died, a nun drove me from the hospital. We aren't even Catholic. The funeral director let me come to the airport with him. Emma wrote, I don't think I have ever detested myself more than I did at that moment. Another human being wasn't screaming, was screaming to be heard, and in desperation had turned to a cold stranger who was more interested in a novel than in the real-life drama at her elbow. All she needed was a listener. No advice, no wisdom, experience, money, assistance, expertise, or even compassion, but just a minute or two to listen. She talked numbly and steadily until we boarded the plane, and then she found her seat in another section. As I hung up my coat, I heard her plaintive voice say to her seat companion, I bet it's cold 
in Chicago. I prayed, please God, let them listen. We can communicate love through different ways. Sometimes it's outward actions seen by all. Other times by genuinely listening or maybe just your quiet presence. Mary chose to demonstrate her affection publicly, expensively, and spontaneously. But as great as her sacrificial gesture were, the disciples' objection came just boom. Automatic. So quickly. Now we mentioned the last week how Jesus was accustomed to his disciples objecting. His teaching, his ways. Remember the story of Mark 10, verse 13 through 16? I put this on the screen. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The disciples loved Jesus, but you can love Jesus and still be envious or not understand the affection that is given to them. I want to note three objections that these disciples made. First, what they were saying is that Mary's actions were not practical. And we live in a practical world, a logical world. We, we put our groceries in recycled bags. We recycle boxes. We appreciate when somebody is practical. We like it when an idea that's proposed is practical. In Matthew 26, verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant and said, Why this waste? That was a practical response. Had you not been in the group, we might have been the first one to think it or even to say it. Why this waste? A year's wages. And for what? I mean, you just poured it all out. What good did it do? What did it accomplish, really? Nobody can look at this story, this event, and say this was practical. Because it wasn't. But on the surface, what appears to be a waste was a priceless expression of love and devotion. And think about it. When the world, who has a whole different worldview, when the world looks at Christians, they question our decisions, Our priorities, the way we go about life, they might even question our sanity. You return home from worship today. Your neighbor's maybe going out to get the morning paper, or maybe she's coming back from her morning walk. Is she thinking, today is Sunday, a day to sleep in, a day to do what you want to do, a day to take it easy. What a waste. Or maybe they see you being a part of a small group Bible study or, or on Wednesday nights going back for another Bible study. What a waste. Don't they have better things to do with their time? Or your tax preparer looks through your paperwork and notices how much money you give to the church. And they ask you, is that amount correct? And you can read it even though they don't say it. They're thinking, what a waste. People here, you're spending your spring break not going to the beach or the mountains or just at home to to relax, but you're going on a mission trip. What a waste. William Banowski was the president of Pepperdine and then the University of Oklahoma, but before that, for five years, 
preached for the Broadway Church of Christ in Lubbock, Texas, a congregation of about 2,000 people. I think his words say it very well. It is an ancient strategy to try to divert attention away from a worthy cause by suggesting something else that ought to be done. In reality, it's not the poor or the missionaries that concern them. It's the spending of the money that pains them. Mary's gift was not practical. But also, Mary's actions were not spiritual. Look at Matthew 26, 8 again in verse 9. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Giving money to the poor sounds so practical. It sounds so spiritual. It sounds like the right thing to do. Much better use of the money. Obviously, the disciples did not appreciate this extravagant, wasteful display of love and affection. But again, when you care for somebody deeply, you make the sacrifice. You're not necessarily thinking about the cost. You're not being practical. You're demonstrating how much you love them. And love motivates you to make a sacrifice. And sometimes that's even extravagant. Ladies, tomorrow's Valentine's. All I can say is you're welcome. No. But the disciples also thought about Mary's actions. And they're not profitable. Matthew and Mark both write about the disciples complaining about the extravagance. But it's John... Because earlier John tells us who all's there. He mentions them by name. And now he tells us who was actually the one speaking. It's Judas. Look at John 12, verse 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And look how John discloses what's really going on. He said this, verse 6, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what he put in it, what was put in it. I want to make sure we get this. Judas was a master of deception. In our minds, because we know, we know the rest of the story. We know what he did. And John, when he was writing this, he knew what he did. And so he put that parenthetical statement in there. But at the time, see, we can picture Judas as the, the one who he looks the part. Do you envision, envision him that way? I mean, he's, he's got the beady eyes and the dark circles and he's wearing dark clothing and probably has a hood on all the time. I mean, he just looks the part. That's the way we envision him. But that's not how he appeared. He looked like everybody else. He was much more cunning than that. See, if he looked that part, you wouldn't be saying, hey, let's give him the money. Nobody would be doing that at all. He had them all fooled, saying, verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? How can you argue with that? It made sense. But notice what happened next. Mary, obviously devastated. How could she not be devastated? And the disciples, they're indignant. That's what the, the gospel writers tell us. And all their eyes are on Jesus. How will he respond? Well, let's talk about that. Jesus' response, John 12, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have, all, have always with you, but you do, you do not always have me. Leave her alone. That was a command. 
at this moment, Jesus could have, the way we would say it, skinned them alive. And they would deserve it, really. He could rip them to shreds. You guys still don't get it, do you? Judas, you're nothing but a thief. You sound so pious, so spiritual, so caring for the poor. Do you not all understand I'm about to die? Mary does. Mary gets it. Mary's been listening. She's chosen what is greater. And you, you're questioning her actions. You've proven to everybody that you don't get it. You've not been listening. And you're doubting her good judgment. That's what they deserve to hear. But not only does Jesus defend Mary's action... He's also gentle in his rebuke to his disciples, even, even to Judas. Do you notice this? You might even say he defends Judas. Just as all the disciples could have been chewed up, even more for Judas, Jesus could have just pulled him out even more since he's the one who spoke up. Judas, you don't care about anybody but yourself. I know every time you've gone to that money bag... Every coin you've taken for yourself, I've seen it. I know. You may be fooling them, but not me. Guys, open your eyes. Judas is a thief. You're about to see it play out. Hang on, it's coming. But Jesus didn't do that. Even in this final week. One author pointed out, Jesus spared Judas the embarrassment, but Judas did not spare Mary. It's as if Jesus was giving Judas another chance, another opportunity to do the right thing, all the way up to the Last Supper. Have you ever been amazed at that? When he takes his disciples up to the Last Supper, Judas is right there with them. Jesus washes Judas' feet, even beforehand, giving him every opportunity to choose what is right, to do the right thing. You can't help but be amazed at the patience of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. You ever wonder what Mary was thinking when Jesus defended her like this in front of all these disciples who were so indignant? Was his words not the best thank you note ever? What she did, it was out of love and devotion. And he got it. He appreciated it. And when you give a gift like that, that is so extravagant, and you know the person receiving it, it's a look. You don't have to say a word sometimes. You know. It means so much. Mary believed Jesus. She got it. She understood. And Jesus understood Mary. In front of all those men who didn't. Leave her alone. The text doesn't tell us that Jesus looked at Mary or they caught eyes. But when I read the story, I think, how could they not? But the phrase I want us to notice is what Mark shares. Mark 16, verse 9. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can get, do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. 
She has anointed my body before my burial. And truly I say to you, whoever the gospel is, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's you and me today. We're talking about this story, and we're seeing what Mary did. She has done what she could. Isn't that not the whole point of this story? She did what she could. When it comes to expressing your devotion to Jesus, you do what you can. You do what you can. It's not a competition. It's about you doing what you can. You give Him your all. You do it with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. But understand, this example of Mary does not parallel to a, what do you do, Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week, because this was a, worth the year's wages. You can't do something like this and spend a year's wages every day. So what's the parallel here? How do we take this home? Because Jesus really doesn't ask us to do this every day. But every day, you are going to be given a situation, a moment, to live for the Lord. To stand up for what's true. To defend the one that is, is receiving injustice. To be able to, to let people know whose side you're on. That you are a disciple of Christ. So the people in your family, in your work, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, the people that you rub shoulders with, if they know anything about you, they know that Jesus comes first. Let's not be like Judas and the rest of the disciples who missed out. Let's follow Mary's example and step up and, and speak up. And even in that moment, maybe we're not prepared, but whatever we got in our hands or whatever comes to mind, we'll share for him to make sure you're clear in your communication with Jesus. It's not a no price too high, but it's a no price too high. Because when it came to saving you, Jesus gave his life because he thought for you there was no price too high. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to think about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe for you it's a time of just private, Lord, forgive me. Let me be better at speaking up, sharing my love and devotion to you that others will know that you come first. Or maybe for you it's something public that you'd like us to pray for. Or if today you're ready to accept the salvation that only Jesus offers. And the baptism that he asks of you will sing this song to encourage you. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Oh.